Welcome to Taking the Party Out of Politics. This is a podcast about understanding how politics is supposed to work, why it isn't working, as well as it could be working, and what we might be able to do about it. Because by understanding a little more clearly how things are supposed to work and why they're a bit messed up, we might be able to get things to work a bit better, perhaps even a lot better. This is a little journey we're taking together about the systems and functioning of politics. Systems which we should all understand, because those systems affect all of our lives, all of the time. And this podcast is about how we might be able to make those systems work a bit better. In season one, we took a look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of us, the voters. In season two, we took a look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of someone trying to get elected and then trying to do a good job. Looking ahead, in season three, we'll be looking at what we might be able to do to make things work a bit better. Importantly, when we get to season three, we'll be sharing our ideas, but also sharing some of the best of your ideas about how to make things work a bit better. Welcome to the third episode of our mini-series, looking at people, organisations and issues which fall outside the established party political systems. We're looking at how some of those people and organisations are seeking to influence what happens in this country and in the world more generally, In other words, seeking to affect our lives for the better, but not necessarily bothered about party politics. And we'll be looking at some of the issues which currently aren't being addressed successfully by our political party-dominated system of politics. Today, we're going to look at public health. Briefly, what is public health all about? How does it affect us? And how does something like public health manage to be, on the one hand, controlled by elected politicians with budgets which are allocated by elected politicians, and yet, on the other hand, manage to be, to at least a large extent, independent of politicians. To help guide us through this, we're joined today by Andy Fox. Hi, I'm Andy Fox. I'm Assistant Director of Public Health in Lincolnshire. Thank you for joining us, Andy. Perhaps we could start with, what does a Deputy Director of Public Health do? So a lot of different things, of course. I think the, uh, the, the, the core task of public health is to try and improve the health of the entire population, um, which means um, you can look at uh, the, how the health system works, the hospitals, etc., GPs, and try and improve the delivery there. Uh, or you can look at what we call the wider determinants, the things that actually uh, make some people get sicker than others. And you can look to try and investigate why that is and do something about it, do, do some prevention in, in essence. And that can translate into any kind of thing from going into meetings around how the hospital's functioning to discussing um, education in schools and coming up with um, uh, interventions to actually help kids do better, to um, working with almost any aspect of the public sector uh, and indeed sometimes voluntary sector and the private sector to just try and steer the ship towards improving people's health rather than seeing people in ill health. So a a lot of different things. They do say no two days are the same. So that's everything from the individual, how our individual health is, through to what companies are doing, pollution, the planet, the environment, the air? Very much so, absolutely. And indeed, um, in public health, uh, you can be quite focused on what we call healthcare public health, which is about health healthcare delivery. And we can get quite involved in things like infection prevention and control. So with the COVID pandemic, we've been very focused on keeping individuals well, uh, making sure that we give the right advice to keep people from getting infected with COVID and, and what to do 
if they do, right through to broadly how whole populations are getting, as I say, some populations will be more healthy than other populations. Why is that? Well, it, you know, maybe it's to do with employment, maybe it's to do with housing quality, and going and chatting to the, you know, the people who have the power and those levers to pull in terms of doing something about that. And when you talk about populations, your population is Lincolnshire. My population is Lincolnshire, every single person in Lincolnshire. How does one become a Deputy Director of Public Health? It's, uh, it's, it's a medical specialty that doctors train to do public health, but you can actually train to be a consultant in public health, which is my professional job, uh, without being a medical doctor which in the UK, which is my background, is a background other than medicine, as it's known. And uh, famously, that's because we don't treat people, we treat populations. So I say to people, it's like I'm a doctor, except I don't fix people, I fix cities and, and counties. So, as Deputy Director of Public Health for Lincolnshire, you're responsible for, as you say, the health of the population of Lincolnshire, of every single person in Lincolnshire. But you also talk about populations within the overall population of Lincolnshire. Is that because there are different areas which have different levels of health, different life expectancies perhaps, often cheek by jowl with each other? Very much so, absolutely. And the famous uh, work on this was the, the Marmot Report done in 2010. And uh, uh, Sir Michael Marmot um, highlighted the um, health inequalities, the technical term we use, of uh, Glasgow, uh, where there's uh, two wards next to each other, um, which uh, with a sort of six minute bus ride apart, which have an over uh, 20 year difference in the life expectancy. Um, and those disparities, those inequalities can be seen throughout the UK, throughout the world, uh, certainly also the case in Lincolnshire. Yes, because the idea that all of this happens in Glasgow might make it sound like it doesn't happen on my doorstep, but it does. It very much does. Um, somebody born into uh, the areas that are high in what we call social economic deprivation, very simply those who don't have that much resource, um, are on average, and this is all about averages, uh, are going to live far uh, less uh, long lives than those born into the more affluent areas. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a, a shocking thing to think about, but it is true. Uh, and um, a lot of public health is about trying to address these, uh, what we would say, avoidable and unjust uh, inequalities in health. Is this true across the whole country? This is true across the whole country. It depends where you look at. But for example, in um, in Lincolnshire, there are areas of the country uh, that are in the top twenty percent deprived areas of uh, areas of the county rather, of the entire country. Um, sure, we don't have some of the, the the most deprived areas that you'd see in in you know in the city parts of London, Liverpool, the northeast. But we do have um, a high disparity. So we have some areas where. Uh, they are in that bottom 20% and we have some of the most affluent areas in the in the country as well. Uh, and if you measure the populations, how they do in those two different, um, the top uh, 10% say of Lincolnshire and the bottom 10% expressed in terms of that socioeconomic um, spectrum, uh, you find huge differences, huge differences in almost every conceivable measure of health. So do you work for the NHS or for the local authority or...? I work for the local authority um, and that's Lincolnshire County Council uh, is my employer. Um, and uh, about uh, 10 years ago anyway, I would have actually worked for the, uh, the NHS doing what I do. Uh, but the, uh, in uh, 2012, there was a, an Act of Parliament which moved um, public health out of the NHS uh, infrastructure into 
the local authority infrastructure. And that makes there's a lot of sense in that because local authorities uh, look after things like uh, roads, transport, housing, children's services, adult social care. Uh, these are things that impact what I call the wider determinants of health. So those things that are more to do with uh, with your body, uh, that are to do with how the society functions that influences our health. So you don't work for the NHS, but I would imagine you work very closely in partnership with many aspects of the NHS. Absolutely. We work very closely with the NHS and every area has a, a director of public health who, uh, you know, my, my boss. Uh, and um, as we move towards different NHS structures, that role, the director of public health and the team, which I, I help lead, um, is a, a fundamental part of the wider health and care system. I won't get into technicalities of it, but there's a lot of work going on to redefine and redesign health and care systems at local level in the UK at the moment. And that public health role is that key bridge role between uh, the local government um, apparatus, if you like, and the NHS. How do you describe and define the objectives and targets for public health? Broadly, I would I have this phrase which I like to use, which is maximising population health gain which is basically whatever resource we have as a system, um, then we want to use that in the most efficient, intelligent, effective way to get the most health gain for the population. Okay, and how do you measure that gain? A lot of it is driven by, uh, as you say, by legislation or or by government, but um, we also compare ourselves with uh, other areas of the UK, benchmarks, um, you know, the example of tobacco, there's a national ambition to reduce the, the, the prevalence of smoking to 6% by, by 2030. Um, so we're going to try and deliver that in Lincolnshire. Um, we have, you know, there's a lot of challenge there. That's one of those things that we don't necessarily have the levers to pull to ensure that will happen. But we can use our resources in the best possible way to give the best chance of that happening in Lincolnshire. Uh, at uh, international uh, level, we had uh, Millennium Development Goals um, aiming for uh, sort of the wider global population health uh, agenda. Then we had Sustainable Development Goals, which superseded those, which were sort of 20, 30 year timeframes. On a local level, we can have targets which look forward generationally to improving uh, uh, outcomes in, in, in 10, 20, 30 years' time. But a lot of the time, actually, we are working to a much shorter time frame. And we are having to demonstrate uh, measurable change, improvement within a one-year time frame, a two-year time frame. And that's much harder when we're dealing with the kind of population health metrics and uh, issues that we often have to deal with. 12 months. Well, what sort of thing is measurable over 12 months in terms of public health? Well, you can measure um, anything in terms of how people are using health services. So you can measure cancer rates uh, over a given period of time. Um, You can measure uh, attendances at accident and emergency for any injury that you like. And you can measure um, the, uh, as I say, stop smoking service performance. Uh, And indeed, uh, you can measure um, sort of child educational outcomes, health outcomes. There's a lot you can measure and see how we're doing compared to last year or the year before. And a lot of the time we'll be asked to deliver improvements in the next year or two uh, and um, and sometimes that's possible and sometimes that's, that's not. And of course the context is very important. The fact that rates attending at cancer clinics has gone down over the last two years with a pandemic on our hands, well that's nothing to do with the performance of the cancer specialist units within hospitals. Precisely so and this is where we get into some of the really interesting stuff around what actually does make averages across whole populations of health 
uh, go up and go down. And actually, uh, if you look at it, um, there are things that really influence why, you know, broadly, why a population will have certain health outcomes. Um, they're a lot more complex than simply the performance of a, you know, a commissioned and delivered health service. They will get into uh, the uh, the lifestyles, the habits, and then, as I say, the even the um, uh, the environmental barriers, and then the uh, um, economic uh, landscape. And uh, uh, there are almost no limits to the things you can find in terms of uh, if you you can start with the proximal people's lifestyles, how they. Uh, use health services, what they eat, what they drink, and you can go right back to the really distal stuff around politics and uh, economics. Uh, and in each of those elements, you can find plenty of things that affect how people event- uh, eventually, how their health uh, outcome manifests. So to ask a similar question, but with a slightly different perspective, is it reasonable to measure your success or your performance in terms of whether a particular target set in a particular year is met? The definition of reasonable is really interesting there, isn't it? Is it reasonable? It, it's, uh, it's sometimes not helpful, I think, yes. Um, if we are trying to say... I mean, it, I always say, if you can do um, one thing, what would you do to try and maximise population health gain? There's, there's no easy answer to that. But I would always go back to working with children and young people, maybe even working with mums and dads of uh, new babies, trying to uh, institute some sort of... Uh, way to support people to enable them to to parent well, parent effectively, love their kids, and help them grow up to develop, uh, get you know get that best start in life, which is something that that we all would say we want for our kids. Um, if you do that, and then you say I would, that is the way to to really change. You change the lifestyles of children and young people. You can do things that will help them and change their outcomes throughout the entire life course, and then you can see an impact upon that at every stage of the life course. Um, that's one way, for example, of trying to address the uh, the, the inequalities in um, uh, in disability free life expectancy. So um, those it's not just life expectancy; those from the poor, uh, uh, more deprived groups will tend to live the last twenty years of their, uh, their life in significant ill health and with disabilities, whereas those from the more affluent groups were far less likely to. Um, if you want to do something about that, you want to really change that, you go right back to the very foundations uh, of, uh, of life in terms of working with children and young people, working with lifestyles of families, but you're not going to see a measurable change in those metrics in a year, in two years. If you take that approach, you're talking 50, 60, 70 years. <laughs> and there's very few systems you work to that will be happy to wait 50, 60, 70 years to see a return on their investment. So how do your timescales sit alongside those of elected public officials who are looking at getting re-elected over a four or five year timescale, even if those elected public officials make a decision within the first few months of being elected? Well, a moment ago, you were talking about 10, 20, 30 year timescales. Now you're talking about possibly 60 or more years. A lifetime, uh, literally a lifetime. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really interesting question because of, obviously if a, an elected politician wants to point to a, a real success um, before when they next get re-elected, they will be looking for measurable improvement, best case scenario, sort of four years. Uh, and if you do take an approach really looking ahead, a very sort of early intervention preventative approach, which is often the best thing to do, um, it's rare that you're looking at a four-year um, uh, improvement, um, which makes it challenging. Um, it means that often you're having to demonstrate 
um, the importance of your approach using second order metrics, using um, you know um, counting widgets essentially, rather than looking at the outcomes. We've you know engaged with this many people. We've done this this many kind of. Uh, interventions with people we've supported this many people yes we haven't seen the change in this behavior or that behavior or this outcome we wouldn't expect to yet but we can still point to success however it's less of an impact it looks far less exciting than putting out a point to saying well smoking's dropped by 20 percent so lung cancer's dropped by you know by, by 20 percent are saying you know uh, people, old adult, old age adults or people who are frail in older age rather um, are uh, uh, not getting admitted to hospital for falls so much because people are moving much more people are staying healthy dementia is, is reducing because uh, people are staying physically active and engaged in their community longer you know if you are, are taking a preventative approach for those things you maybe have to start looking at the shorter term uh, rather than the longer term outcome and we, we do talk about in public health primary secondary and tertiary prevention Primary prevention being stopping anybody from actually getting a condition. Secondary prevention being identifying people who do have a precursor condition uh, or risks for a condition uh, and then stopping that from getting worse. And then tertiary prevention, basically what hospitals do, treating the condition. So, taking the context of those timescales, the people who are assessing your objectives are elected politicians. They may not be assessing the detail of your objectives, but those elected politicians do hold the purse strings. They're at least approving your objectives. They're voting them through. But as we've already discussed, their timescales for demonstrating impact, for demonstrating their success, well, they're not the same as your timescales. They're of a different order. If their parameters for being judged to be successful or not are different to yours, then should they be the people who approve your plans? But if not our elected officials, then who else? Uh, it's a really good question. Um, so, you know, it, the, the best approach, I guess, is to have that, that working relationship with elected members where uh, there is a high degree of trust and they're able to say to you, you know, what metrics can we use? What, what success measures can we use? And we'll work to develop those. But of course, then who's going to hold us to account? Um, who's going to challenge us in terms of being able to, to deliver change uh, quickly? So it always ends up being a bit of a quid pro quo, a bit of a, uh, a mutual challenge. Uh, but actually, uh, part of our job, of course, is working in a political environment. And part of the, the skills that we need to have as professionals are helping politicians to understand uh, the, uh, the, the life course impact of some of the policies that we're doing and trying to steer things in that direction. Um, but it's, uh, there's always that tension there. It is, it is never going to be straightforward working with the electoral cycles that we do to have uh, a population health approach embedded in uh, what the, the public and, and indeed private uh, sectors do. Is it reasonable to try to measure your success in terms of whether those targets are met or not? Is there an effort made to look back and say, well, in 1960 they did this? What has been the effect of that? Are those sorts of measures attempted? So very much so, actually. And um, the, uh, the whole of uh, the, sort of the um, medical sector, industry, healthcare, whatever you like to call it, is built on the principle of evidence-based medicine. Uh, and um, we work very closely with academics um, who uh, review and research uh, policy, procedure, in medical interventions, etc., to make sure that they are effective, um, 
and appropriate for our population, uh, whichever population you're looking at. And um, that process is, is constant of reviewing evidence, adding to the evidence base. There's a big academic component in what we do, and it's for that reason that we do it. It's not just to uh, get papers published in journals, etc., for for our own sort of benefit. It's to make sure that um, that we are all working to build that basis of, of what works and constantly reviewing what works and challenging what works to make sure that we are um, always, you know, as I say, trying to maximise population health gain in all that we do. What about at the government level? Is there constructive, engaged challenge there? There is a, a wider uh, sort of government infrastructure, which you know is actually changing at the moment. But uh, in the UK, in terms of public health, uh, we have a, a new department actually called the Office for Health Improvement and Disparities, uh, which sits under the Chief Medical Officer, which has just been created. Uh, and there is, of course, the uh, Department of Health and Social Care, NHS England infrastructure, uh, and um, that's recently been changed. And sort of, there's a, a regional director of public health role, which is now. Um, being created um, certainly for the last few years that's been in the pipeline so there's there are various arms of national government and regional government uh, which uh, can offer that challenge and in fact um, on the healthcare delivery side with the NHS there is regular robust and clear challenge from NHS England and improvement the, the overarching body on delivery of local healthcare through the, uh, the clinical commissioning groups and the, the new integrated care systems Okay, another question, if I may. From my ignorant perspective, as a non-expert, here's one thing cutting across different health and care systems, something which many people might have heard of, and that's the linkage between hospitals and care, where it's being described as bed blocking, because local authorities who fund or who support the funding of social care are not incentivized to help the NHS work better. It's much more expensive to keep people in hospital when they no longer need to be in hospital, But very often, those people need some sort of level of care. But the authorities who are responsible for providing that social care and therefore making it more possible to release the more expensive, more intensive health care, well, it hasn't been made the responsibility of those local authorities to do what is cheapest for the country as a whole, only to keep a lid on their own limited budgets. Is that an accurate reflection of the situation? So there's, there's elements of that that are actually spot on, but I would say that um, local authorities are very much incentivised to actually help that. And it's a key part of our role. Literally just been in a meeting prior to this, this chat with somebody talking about that exact issue in Lincolnshire. And um, it is uh, part of that bridge, as I was saying, that, that bridge role, the, the public health team being that link between local authority and adult social care being one of those elements and the wider NHS and it is one of the if you like the, the holy grails of um, not just public health but the healthcare practice in the UK is to make sure that uh, we can get people out of hospital who don't need to be in hospital because just to be clear being in hospital is not a great place to be if you are well in, exactly if you're well enough to be discharged you don't want to be there you want to be in your own home in your own beds there's all sorts of ways we can get people re- recuperating recovering uh, when they're clinically well enough to not need that hospital care, but perhaps still aren't, you know, really up on their feet, we can get them into uh, into their own bed uh, as a, uh, a priority, really. And um, very clear that yes, that's a, that's not just a role of public health, but we do uh, support that and uh, and kind of try and steer the whole system into better ways of working that ensure there there are no perverse incentives for anybody to be kind of keeping a system going that that isn't working efficiently.
The, the term that's been used historically is delayed transfers of care, um, but really, as in uh, transferring care from the NHS to um, sort of adult social care, um, getting people the support that they need. Uh, but really, you know, we, we'd also talk about reablement, getting people back up and well uh, and, and able to look after themselves. Um, but I think um, home first is, is the principle um, that, that we're now talking about a lot in this, this world. Uh, which is the best place for people to be for their wider uh, health, emotional well-being, mental health, uh, is is at home. And um, so, yes, uh, take your pick from any number of those terms, oh, but uh, it's a, it's a major focus of our work and uh, something that is is a yeah, constant uh, effort to try and improve. All right, thank you. And so, for people listening to this who perhaps didn't realise that this was something that they might be interested in. Is there any sort of final message about the value of what your team is doing? Anything which people might not be aware of? So I, I mean, I'm biased, of course, uh, or not biased, but I have a, a perspective on this, which is that public health is one of the most important things that you could do. I mean, who else gets trained and supported and then empowered by uh, the government? And we still have this role in, in this country, and it's a privilege to try and improve health and improve life for the whole population and to actually have the job of thinking long-term about how best to do that. And then given, you know, not a great budget, but a budget, to go and actually make that happen. Uh, it's, it's a massive privilege. And indeed, you know, we've touched on the wider determinants of health. You know, and I, I chat to so many doctors who um, use the analogy of um, getting interested in public health because uh, it's this old, this old picture of um, you know, somebody coming along to a, a river and there's somebody struggling drowning in a river, so they, they pull them out. And then uh, two minutes later, there's somebody else floating down the river who's struggling and, uh, uh, and drowning, and they pull them out. And after they've pulled 20 people out of the river, they're getting exhausted. They get, so they walk further up the river, and they find there's a, a bridge with a massive hole in it that people keep falling down. And if you can go upstream and fix the bridge, prevention, if you can stop people getting sick, um, then you can make a massive difference across the population. And sometimes it can be very simple things um, that make a huge difference across a population. It just needs the right voice to say, have we considered this? And, uh, and you can make a massive difference. A small reduction in risk of, say, cancer or something for a large number of people can massively change average health outcomes across the entire population. And it's that, the power of that population approach, the big picture approach, that really only public health is... Uh, trained and empowered to do in terms of the, the public sector, sort of uh, local government and health system in the UK. That makes sense. I love the analogy. Long may you and your team continue to fix the holes in our bridges. Andy Fox, Deputy Director of Public Health in Lincolnshire, thank you very much. Thank you. We'll keep trying. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to have a look at the transcripts of this podcast, including links to all of our sources and references, please go to www.talktogether.info and follow the links to the podcast from there. And of course, if you'd like to contact us, not least if you'd like to share any ideas which you have about how we could make things better, or if there are any areas of how politics is supposed to work but why it isn't working, then please email us at any time on info at talktogether.info. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then I hope you'll take the time to tell your friends. And perhaps you could also take a moment to give us a rating wherever you found us. That not only helps other people to find us, it just really also makes us feel appreciated. That would be great. Thank you.